So, uh, hey, it is good to see you. It's good to be in worship with you. Um, thankful if you're a regular and you're here all the time, great to see you. If you're a guest with us, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. And for those of you who are connecting with us online, we're thankful for this technology that allows us to connect with you before you get here in person. And we look forward to getting to know you in person when you can come. So um, before we jump into this new series uh, and this message this morning, I just want to say thank you again to all of you who served in so many ways yesterday to make that possible. We could not have done what we did without your help, and so many of you gave so many hours, and so just thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you made a difference yesterday. Uh, what an awesome time it was to be able to experience this grand opening with our community. Um, I just... Yesterday, I was reminded again just how much I love our church. Um, I love getting to be the pastor of our church. I love all of you. I love this church community. I love what God's doing in this place. It's just a joy to be a part of this church family. And so I'm just so thankful uh, for the privilege uh, to be a part uh, and to be able to be your pastor. And I, I need you to hear that even as we dive into this message because uh, as we talk about Rethink Church, the, the hope is that if you are new to church, if you're kind of like saying, hey, I haven't been to church in a long time, or I'm new to church, or new to church uh, after years of being away from church, whatever it might look like, um, my hope is, is that as we go through this series, and even as we talk today, you'll have some new insights of what the church should look like, because this building is not the church, we are the church. We, the, the body of Christ, are gathering as the church in this building, um, and, and we're not the only church. Uh, we're just a small portion of the larger church, the body of Christ, and so there are lots of amazing uh, church bodies that are gathering all around our community. I tell people all the time, there's a lot of great churches in our area. We like to think we're one of them, uh, but not just here in our area, but around the world, there are bodies of Christ, uh, people that are Christians, follower of Jesus, coming together in all kinds of locations and worshiping Jesus, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and that is the, the capital C church, and we're just a one local expression of that. But I'm hoping that uh, if you're new to church, you'll kind of have some new insights. And the thing is, is sometimes we, we think of church based on our experiences. And maybe those are bad experiences for you. Maybe you had a bad church experience and it's kind of tainted you to what the church is and could be and should be. And, and so you kind of have some negative feelings about the church because of a bad experience. But the opposite of that is true for churchy people, all right? So um, I'm a churchy person, all right? I've been in church my whole life. I practically was born in the church, all right? And so for those of us uh, who are followers of Jesus, and we've been followers of Jesus for a long time, and we've been a part of the church for a long time, the problem with us is that sometimes we begin to think of church not through the lens of Scripture and not through the lens of the life of Jesus, but we think of church through the lens of our personal experiences. We think of church through the lens of what we have encountered and what we think we, we think the church should look like this because this is what we've experienced. And, and my hope is, is for those of you who are new, there'll be some kind of new insights that will give you some hope about the church. And for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, I really hope that this will challenge us. 
I really hope that this will stretch us. I really hope that, that maybe even, um, I, I don't want to do this, um, but maybe even the Holy Spirit will kind of step on our toes a little bit. And I'll just tell you, as I've told you before, if anything stings, just know that God's been working on me long before it got to you this morning, okay? Uh, so it's been stinging here well before it might sting uh, in your own heart. But I'm, I'm just thrilled about what God is doing here in this place, and I just want to encourage us to keep going. I just want to encourage us to keep moving in the right direction, and that's what this series is all about. And so um, as, as we think about all this, um, I, I think that the best way to think what should the church look like is to say, what did Jesus look like? If we want to know what, what the church should be like, we should say, what was Jesus like? Because we are the body of Christ. And so we should be like Jesus. We should reflect some things that Jesus reflected. And so uh, if you are a note taker, uh, this is a great Sunday to take some notes. Um, and if you are not a note taker, this is a great Sunday for you to start being a note taker uh, and, and take some notes. Uh, there's just something about hearing it and then writing it down. And then I'll take it a step further to then have a conversation. There's all kinds of studies and research on this. They, uh, teachers will tell you taking notes will help you remember things. Um, there's something about hearing it, but then it takes it a whole step level to write some notes down. And then if you'll do it one more thing, if you'll have a conversation with someone about what you learned today, uh, there's just some ways that God can kind of bring things deeper into our hearts and minds. And so if you didn't receive notes on your way and if you raise your hand, one of our amazing ushers in the back will bring you uh, some notes. But there's some notes in here. Uh, the first one is, what was Jesus like? What was Jesus like? Jesus, number one, was authentic. He, he, was, he was someone who connected with everyday people. Uh, Jesus uh, ministered in an agricultural society and he talked about fig trees and he talked about sheep and he talked about seeds and he talked about plants and everyday stuff. He connected with regular people. Jesus was authentic. And listen, the church should be too. The, the church should keep the cookies on the low shelf so that we can all access them, right? It's, it's just, we, we should just kind of talk in ways that everybody can connect with. That's, that's how Jesus talked. And that's how the, how the church should be today. Jesus, number two, was relevant. He talked about things that mattered. And the church should too. The church should pass the who cares test. Who, who cares about that? We, we shouldn't just talk about things that are going to help people get to eternity, but we need to be talking about things that are going to help people today. They're going to help people at work on Monday. And, and so there's got to be this sense that the church passes the, the who cares test in, in helping people with eternal matters and with how those things apply into our lives today. So Jesus was relevant. Number three, Jesus was accepting. He was so accepting of people that were far from God. And the church should be too. And what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus was not only accepting and loving of people who are really far from God, but people who are really far from God really liked Jesus. I mean, think about that. that scripture, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see over and over that, that tax collectors and prostitutes and people who had all kinds of baggage and brokenness in their life, they were drawn to Jesus. 
There was something about Jesus and his love and his welcoming spirit that people that had lots of brokenness in their lives were somehow drawn and attracted to Jesus because he gave the words of life. And and there's a problem when today, if you talk to somebody who has a lot of baggage and who is broken and, and has just some things and they would say, you know, I'm, I'm really far from God, oftentimes those people will tell you, the last place I want to go is the church. The last place I want to go is the church because those people will judge me. Those people will, you know, have... Di- and so what has, what has transpired... When Jesus was extremely loving and welcoming and people were drawn to him because he gave them the words of life so that their life could change, to now the church is somehow repulsive to people who are very far from God. How, how have we moved so far from reflecting the love of Jesus? And, and, and again, um, the reality is the church should be as accepting and loving as Jesus and Jesus did this perfectly, and, and, and we'll never get this perfect, okay? But Jesus did this perfectly. He had 100% welcome and grace and love, but he also called people to truth. There's just this perfect balance that Jesus had where, where he loved them unconditionally, but he said, hey, listen, go and sin no more. I'm going to lead you to what it means to, to live the way that God wants you to live. And, and somehow those things were just held in perfect balance by Jesus. And, and we'll never get that perfect. But if, if we're going to err on one side, let's err on the side of grace. Let's err on the side of love. And let's err on the side of welcome. And, and let's continue to point people to say, hey, God doesn't want you to stay there. God's got something better for you. And, and for us, we would, we would talk about moving from where we are to where God wants us to be, that that, that begins at salvation, but God's not finished with us at salvation. If, if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I don't know about you, Pastor, but I'm perfect. I've got it all together. I, I don't need to move any more than then you're in a dangerous place. You're in a, you're in a troublesome place. The reality is, is all of us need to continue to take steps to become more and more like Jesus. And so we need to be loving people and welcoming people while calling people to truth. And, and Jesus just did that so beautifully. And we need to do that as well. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. I, I love this passage. It says this, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And he taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And the reason why is like all of his friends were sinners. Like all of his friends were disreputable sinners. And so when he had a house party, he invited Jesus and then he invited all of his friends and all of his friends were not good guys. And and then the Bible says this, there were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. 
sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I love this passage because in this passage, Jesus makes his mission very clear. He said, my mission is to go and seek and to find and to reach out to those who are sick, who recognize their sickness and who need a doctor, and to those who are in sin, who need grace. That, that was his mission. And if that was Jesus' mission, that ought to be reflective of the church's mission because we are the body of Christ and, and we continue his mission in the world today. And so, um, number four, Jesus introduced change. Uh, we don't always love this one, but Jesus did this. He introduced change. Um, there's something about Jesus that he was just bringing change. Although sinners and, and people who are far from God and, and people who are full of brokenness were attracted to Jesus, you know who wasn't attracted to Jesus? Religious people. And you know why the religious people weren't attracted to Jesus? The religious people weren't attracted to Jesus because he kept changing stuff. He kept messing with their traditions and he kept messing with their programs and he kept messing with the things that, well, that's how we've always done it before. And in doing that, and, and again, the, the religious leaders that were a part of Jesus's crucifixion, they weren't bad people. They were some of the best moral people of the day. The Pharisees were, were the most righteous people as far as how they lived their lives. Their problem wasn't that they were bad people. Their problem was they were so concerned about protecting certain traditions that they missed that God wanted to do something new. And, and they forgot this passage in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 15 to 19. The prophet Isaiah says this, God says to the people through Isaiah, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. And I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses, and I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. There's, there's this picture that he's wanting to show them of remember how I delivered your people from slavery and I, I split the Red Sea and I gave you a dry path through the waters and, and then I brought the, the Egyptian army in and then I crashed those over them. And then God says this, but forget all of that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. And I love this because the people of God kept looking for God to give them a dry path through a sea. We're looking for a dry path through a sea, a dry path through, that's how God works. God works by giving a dry path through a sea. And God says, listen, I want you to forget that. I'm about to do something totally new. I'm about to give you rivers in the midst of a dry wilderness. I'm gonna completely change what you think and what you expect. And, and they just couldn't wrap their head around the new things that God wanted to do. And, and one of the reasons that I've always loved um, being the, your pastor, and, and for the almost 11 years now that I've pastored this church, one of the things I love is that this church is not the church that says, hey, we're not going to do that because we've never done that before. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to get into this like we've never done that before, so we're not doing this. I love the fact that we're saying, hey, you know what? 
we've never had a, a, a community park before, but we're going to figure out what God's doing. We're going to figure out where God is leading, and we're going to follow. We're just going to do different things. We're going to do new things, and, and we're just going to trust that God's going to lead us, and we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit, and we're going to go where God wants us to go, even if it doesn't make sense. When, when we started dreaming about building this, it was in the midst of COVID. When, when we started doing campaigns to say, how can we build this? It was the, like churches were shutting down and we're like, hey, let's build a new building and build a community park. And it didn't make sense, but we felt like that was what God was calling us to. And here we are. And we're saying, all right, Lord, we're just going to keep following you. We're just going to keep going where you call us to do. But there's this something about change that's kind of in the DNA here, and I just want to keep it in the DNA because Jesus introduced change, and the church has got to be willing to change too because if we don't, we can miss what God is trying to do in the next generation, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to miss out what God has and what God is doing. And so number five, Jesus had spiritual power. Jesus had spiritual power. Now, here's the thing about this. Some of us, maybe we've had a, a past church experience where we went to a church, we visited a church, we were a part of a church, and, and there was spiritual power that was taking place that was kind of, it weirded us out. There was just weird things, all right? And that, that could be lots of things, okay? Maybe you were watching a televangelist on TV, and there were just some things that you just thought was weird. And, and, and here's what many of us have done in, in the church of Jesus Christ, because we saw spiritual power that looked weird, as a reaction against that, we've said, hey, we're just going to keep things normal and safe and very tidy and very organized. And, and we've highly organized and we've missed out on some spiritual power. But here's what we know. We know that our God still heals. We know that he is the great physician. And although he heals through doctors many times, we know that he has the power to divinely touch and divinely heal. We know that. We know that our God has the power to radically intervene and radically change someone's life through spiritual, powerful ways that they can't do it through just teaching and organization and planning, that there's sometimes where you just need a divine touch of the Holy Spirit for him to do something radical in you. But we've missed out on some spiritual power because we've been so concerned about being so orderly and neat and tidy and organized. And, and I don't even know what that looks like. So if you're like, well, what are you trying to say? I don't know. I, don't know. I just want to say we need to be free to say, God, move in powerful ways in our church. We need to be free to say, God, would you do something radical in us and through us that, that we can't necessarily control, but it is, it is the power of God at work in the church today. And when Jesus here, I just want to remind us of this, when Jesus did spiritually powerful things, it wasn't weird. It wasn't weird. No, even his critics didn't say, it's just weird when he heals people. Nobody said that. They, they saw God at work doing powerful things, and God was glorified even when the disciples began to do spiritually powerful things. Those weren't received as weird. It was just God being glorified through good things. And, and so I don't know what that looks like, but I'm just telling you the church should reflect Jesus. And Jesus said, my disciples will do greater things than even I did. And there ought to be spiritual powers exercised. There, there ought to be lives that are being radically changed. There ought to be people that are being healed of diseases. There ought to be people that are receiving transformation in ways that could never happen in any other way except through the power of God in the church. And in order to let that happen, we're going to have to say, okay, God, we're not going to control everything. 
Because if we try to control everything, then we're going to lose some spiritual power as we try to have control and order and tidiness. And Does that make sense? Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. All right. Okay. All right. Um, number six. This is the last one of this. Jesus was generous. Jesus was generous. So I just want to remind us that Jesus gave up his life for the world. That he didn't think of himself first, he thought of us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were not following God, when we were going in our own directions, when, when we didn't deserve or earn his love, Jesus didn't think of himself first, he thought of us first, and he gave of himself for us. And if Jesus was that generous... The church should be known as the most generous people. The church should reflect the generosity of Christ. And when people look at the church, they should say, what is it about those people that causes them to be so generous? What is it about those people that causes them to, to, to give of their lives? And I'm not just talking resources. I'm talking giving of themselves. What would that look like for the church to be seen as the most generous people that there are? And, and the only way we can do that is for God to transform our hearts so that we can look more like Jesus and we can be generous and think of others before we think of ourselves. And so um, if you are kind of following along in here, uh, in your notes, it just says, our church must focus on others first. Our church must focus on others first. And, and the immediate reaction when I say that is, oh, I don't know about that. What about me? What about my family? What about, what about my wants and my desires and my likes? And, you know, um, that, that just, and I'll just remind us, take a deep breath. That's just a good reminder that none of us have perfectly arrived. No, you know, because listen, I, as your pastor, sometimes have those feelings. Well, what about my kids? What about my, you know? Um, and, and the reality is, is the moment we say that, it's just a good reminder for us to say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that I'm not, I'm not where you want me. I'm not as generous as Jesus yet. I'm, I'm not... I'm not someone, I'm, I think of myself before I think of others, and Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. And, and for us to just, just capture that as a moment of saying, Lord, thank you for revealing that in my own heart. But, but I just, as you look at this, I, I want you to think of these churches. Um, I have some pictures of some churches I want you to see, and we'll talk about them for just a minute. Uh, the first is the Church of Santa Barbara in Spain. Um, and then the, the next church I want you to see is the Kelvinside Parish Church in Glasgow, uh, Scotland. Uh, then there's, I don't even know how to pronounce this, the Rowan Kirk Church in the Netherlands. I'm sure I just butchered that. I'm sorry uh, to those of you who might have Netherland background. Uh, probably didn't say that right either, but anyway, <laughs> the next one is St. Nicholas Church in England. Um, and then there's the chapel in Antwerp, Belgium, and then there's a Dutch church in Amsterdam. And so all of these churches that I just showed you uh, these pictures of, they all have one thing in common, and that is that they are no longer locations where people worship at all. They're no longer places where people gather in the name of Jesus to lift up the name of Jesus and be the church, the body 
of Christ. And so the church in Santa Barbara, I want you to go back to that. Um, this is actually now on the inside is a large skate park in Spain uh, where people gather uh, to skateboard. Uh, the Kelvinside Parish in Glasgow, Scotland, um, this is now an event center and a nightclub and a bar um, on the inside. The church in the Netherlands um, is now a bookstore on the inside. Now, it's a beautiful bookstore, uh, but it is a bookstore and not a place of worship. The St. Nicholas Church in England is now actually a private residence. Uh, someone has bought it and turned it into a private home. Um, and the chapel in Antwerp, Belgium, is now on the inside a high-end restaurant and bar. And the Dutch church in Amsterdam is now a nightclub and a music venue called the Paradisio. And so all of these once churches... Once places where people gathered in the name of Jesus to lift high the name of Jesus are now dead. They no longer glorify the name of Jesus and lift up the name of Jesus. And if you were, you know, this is happening all over Europe. And before you think to yourself, oh, those Europeans, oh, they need to be more like us Americans, right? Let me just remind us that this is actually happening in America too. Look at this next church. This is St. John the Baptist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And on the inside of it, it is now a brew pub uh, and no longer a location for worship and a house of worship. And so uh, churches die. Let me just remind us of this. Churches die when they stop doing what Jesus called the church to do. Churches cease to exist when they quit doing the things that Jesus called the church to do. And they remain alive, they remain healthy, they stay vibrant when they do the things that Jesus called the church to do. And so um, I, I think about this a lot. What leads a church to life? What leads a church to vibrancy? This is something that I just think about a whole lot because I desperately want our church to be a church that is alive. I desperately want our church to be a church that is full of vibrancy and the life of Christ being manifested in us, not just when we gather on Sundays, but when we go out from here into our community. I want us to be the kind of church that is full of life. And so I think about this a lot. And, and the answer is this, that the church has got to do what Jesus created the church to do to stay alive. And Jesus created the church to go out and to make Christ-like disciples. That is why the church exists, to, to go out and to make Christ-like disciples. Now, uh, obviously there's teaching and there's education and there's encouragement that happens when we gather together. And we need all of that so that we can accomplish the mission of the church. But the mission of the church is to go out and to make Christ-like disciples. And in order for us to be alive, in order for us to uh, be full of life and vibrancy, we've got to do what Jesus created us to do. And the thing that all of those churches that I just showed you, the thing that they missed, is at some point along the line, they started to say, well, the church is for us. And the church is for what our family needs and what we like and what we want. And, and, and there's this gravitational pull of every church to become inward focused. It's just, a, it's just the, the, the nature of humanity is for us to just gravitationally look inward and say, well, what about what I like and what about what I want and what about my desires and what about all of these things? And, 
And, and the body of Christ has got to reflect Jesus. And Jesus didn't start by saying, well, what about me? And what about what I want? And Jesus said, it's not my will, but yours. And, and whatever it takes for others, I'm willing to even go to the cross for the sake of others. And the church has got to reflect that kind of generosity and that kind of outward focus. And, and if we fail to put our intention our resources into the mission of focusing on others before ourselves, we will not escape the gravitational pull of focusing inward. Right? There, there's, just something, there's just something about human nature that is about this self-centered behavior. It's, it's a part of the human condition. And, and here's the beautiful thing. The good news of the gospel is is that God says, even though you have that human condition, right? So you don't have to train your kids to be selfish, right? Any, any parents in the room? Do you have to train your kids to be selfish? Like, all right, Johnny, here's what you got to do. You got to fight for that, all right? You got to say, no, it's mine. I want that. Quit, quit just giving all your stuff away, John. Like, no, we don't have to teach them that. They just do that on their own, right? Like, they get that. Selfishness comes naturally, but as we walk with Jesus, as we allow Jesus to change our heart, as we follow him and he begins to move in us, we just, we become more like Jesus. And we begin to say, well, what can I do for others? And not, well, what's in it for me? And, and here's, here's the good news. The good news is as we do that, God will take care of our needs. As we focus and bless others, God will meet our needs. And we'll, we'll look at some scriptures that will help us unpack that in just a minute. But uh, here's, here's what I need us to know. Jesus was very clear what his mission for the church was. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So the very beginning of that is go, right? So it's, it's an outwardly focused mission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, I want you to go. I want you to go to them I want you to go to them and teach these new disciples all of these commands. And as you do that, hey, guess what? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And, and the promise of Jesus to his church is as you go do the mission that I've called you to do, you get me. You get me. You say, well, what's in it for me? Jesus. That should be enough. What's in it for me? You get Jesus. You get the forgiveness of your sins. You get new life. You get hope. You get the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You get Jesus. That's what you get. That's what I get. That's what we get. And that should be enough. That should be enough. And whenever I start saying, well, what, what's, in, what's in it for me? I, I don't, this whole other's first. I, the church should be for the people who aren't here yet. Well, what about me? I'm already here. Does, do I, I'm, of course you matter. Of course you matter. You get Jesus. And it's just an awesome opportunity for us to go, Lord, thank you for revealing that you're not done working in my heart. Thank you for revealing to me that there's still some things that you need to do to help me fully surrender to you so that I can put you first and not myself first. And, 
And what a beautiful, beautiful thing that God allows us to do. Jesus made his mission to us clear, that we are to be outwardly focused. Yes, we gather together. Yes, we're discipled. Yes, we're fed. Yes, we're equipped. But we do all of those things so that we can go out and do the mission, which is to make disciples of those who don't yet know Jesus. So Luke 14, 23, Jesus says this. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and beyond the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. So let's just say this out loud together. The church must focus on others first. The church must focus on others first. All right, so here we go on three. One, two, three. The church must focus on others first. All right, that was, you were almost there. Let's try it with a little umph here. All right, let's go. One, two, three. The church must focus on others first. And, and, and if that stings a little bit, just say, Lord, thank you for revealing to me that I still need to grow and that I'm, I'm still a little bit selfish in some places and some ways. And so... Um, there's three fundamental truths that I want to give us, and, uh, and I'll, I'll go fast on these. And then I'm going to close with a parable that I'm going to share with you. But these three fundamental truths are this. Number one, we are blessed to be a blessing. We see this over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The reason that God blesses people is so that they can be a blessing to others. We, we see this um, in our own lives where... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and we received forgiveness, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because Jesus just extended it to us. We were blessed to receive forgiveness and grace and mercy, and we're blessed so that we can be a blessing and we can tell others about this good news and that they too can experience forgiveness and hope and restoration. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament through the life of Abraham in Genesis 12 too. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Why? And you will be a blessing to others. So, so there's this clear parallel that I'm going to bless you. And because I've blessed you, you will be a blessing to others. We just see this over and over throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Number two, when we bless others, God will take care of our needs. Rest easy. It'll be okay. When you think about others first, God will take care of you. God will meet your needs. God will, God will be sufficient for you. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 29 to 30, it says this, Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So in other words, Jesus is saying, if you will prioritize my kingdom and you will prioritize others first, I've got you. That's what Jesus is saying. It'll be okay. I'm going to meet, I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to take care of you, not only in this life, but I'm going to take care of you in this life and in the life to come for all of eternity. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says this, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine 
the amount you get back. And I love how the message paraphrase says this. The message paraphrase says it this way. Give your life away and you'll find your life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessings. So just be a person that just gives your life away. Just give your life away and know that as you give your life away, God's going to give you back life with bonuses and with blessings. And number three, the more we're blessed by God, the more he expects us to help others. And I would just say in, in the 50 plus years that our church has been in existence, we have been blessed in amazing ways. God has done so many good things and uh, there, are, there are some people in here uh, that have been a part of this church for 40 plus years um, and we just in the last couple of years lost some of our founding members that were here uh, for the entire time of the life of our church and, and for those that have been here for a really, really, really long time they could tell you story after story of how God has blessed this church how God has taken care of us how God has met our needs and when we have been blessed with this much there is a high responsibility that, that where we have been blessed, there is responsibility for us to be a blessing to others. And, and there is a, there's a great expectation on us that we would care for others. Luke 12, 48 says this, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Listen, we've been blessed. We've been entrusted with much. And, and there's a responsibility that comes with that for us to steward it well and for us to manage it in ways to say, God, we're going to keep this about your kingdom and we're going to keep this outwardly focused and not about us. And as we do that, God says, I'll keep taking care of you. You keep thinking about those that aren't a part of my kingdom yet and how you can reach them and how you can help them become disciples and how you can teach them to obey all the commands and baptize them. You keep doing that and I'll take care of you. I'll take care of all of your needs and I'll, I'll give you life abundantly and I'll bless you with greater life here now and in eternity. I, I want to close with this parable. Um, this is a, a, a parable that I heard a long time ago. I actually read it uh, for the first time in a book many, many years ago, but it's been one of those parables that has just stuck with me. Um, it's just really been one of those that um, it's, it's kind of shaped the way I think about things. Um, and as we have built this community park, as we've built this student center, as we've just kind of had this grand opening yesterday, I've been thinking a lot about this parable. And I just, I want to share it with you to help us keep the right framework, even in the months and the years to come. And I'll just read the first part to you, and then we'll talk about it for just a bit. The leaders of a certain congregation decided that reaching teenagers in the neighborhood would be a part of its vision for a new commitment to outward-focused mission. So they initiated a recreation program at the church on Friday nights. Volunteers were trained not only to keep the fun and the refreshments flowing, but also to pursue spiritual conversations with any of the students who were willing to talk about their spiritual journey. Six weeks into the new program, the leaders met again to evaluate what they had learned and to talk about this new program, and they learned three things had happened. Number one, a young woman 
had given her life to Christ. Number two, a young man had committed to meeting with the student pastor every single week to talk about how he might be willing to learn more and begin to trust Jesus with his life. And number three, a window had been broken. And after this meeting, the leaders concluded, well, this recreation night was a great idea. Too bad it didn't work out. Obviously, we can't have windows in the church being broken, so let's place more money into funding Young Life because they're better equipped to serve those kinds of kids. And I would just recognize here that, that these aren't a good value and a bad value, right? That the good value was, hey, we want to reach kids, we want to do something, and there's another good value that says we want to be good stewards, and we want to be good property handlers of the things that God has entrusted us. These aren't a good value and a bad value. These are two good values. But, but what's important for the church to be clear about is when you have two good values, what's the most important of those two good values? In this particular case, the leaders said that property management and being good stewards of, of God's stuff was the most important value. But what would it have looked like? What would it have looked like if, if in this parable it, it was different? If, if the leaders gathered together and they said, hey, what happened? And they said, well, this one young woman, she gave her life to Christ. And this other young man is meeting with the student pastor every week to talk about and explore trusting Jesus with his life. And there was a window that was broken. What would have happened if the leaders would have said, wait a minute. You mean for every broken window we can get one and a half salvations? Let's make it our goal to break every window in the church next year because we can always replace glass. You see the difference in prioritization of two good values and saying that the ultimate mission of the church has got to be going out and making disciples. And, and here's what I know. Just prepare for this. There's going to be a moment where somebody vandalizes that community park. There's going to be a moment where somebody roughhouses and climbs on the shades and, and a shade is torn or there's something bad that's happened. There, there's going to be a moment and, and we're going to have to say, well, wait a minute, you know, we've invested all of this money in this place and maybe we need to close it down to the community and maybe we need to keep it just for ourselves so we can keep it safe and we can protect our investment or we can say, you know what, that's what we have insurance for. You know what? God has provided for us. He's been abundantly good to us. And, you know, like look at the stories and the lives that are being impacted. And you know what? We're okay with that one encounter. And we're okay with that one thing because God's going to take care of us and, and look at all the good that is happening because of how we've opened up the doors of the community. And I, I, I just beg of us as a church to be the church that never says, let's shut that down because we got to protect our, our assets. We got to protect the things that we have put our resources in. Let's be a church that says we're going to think of others first. And as we do that, the Lord will take care of all the rest. All right, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your word that challenges us, that, that stretches us. I, I thank you, Lord, even, even in my own life, how these, these passages... Uh, cause me to be uncomfortable at times and, and recognize my own selfish heart. 
Lord, I, I pray that you would help us as a church to put you and your kingdom and your mission above all the other things that would creep into priorities in our life and our desires. Lord, I, I pray for those that may be watching online right now, those that are here this morning who, who haven't stepped across that line of faith and they're just, they're just checking out some things, they're exploring, they're, they're trying to decide whether they want to put their hope and their trust in you. They feel far from you, they feel distant from you. Lord, we don't need to point out to them the things that they need to fix. Lord, you're already doing that. Your Holy Spirit is so good at revealing our own brokenness. And so, Lord, for those that are here this morning, for those that are watching online and they, they feel distant from you, they feel their brokenness, they feel the need that they have of, of things in their life that need your fixing. Lord, I just pray that in these moments they would receive your love, they would receive your grace, that they would even just say, if they've never done this before, Jesus, I, I want your forgiveness. I, I need you to, to forgive me of my sins, and I, I don't even fully know what this means, but I want to follow you. I want you to give me the hope and the life and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control that, that I can't seem to do on my own, but, but if you can give it to me, Lord, I, I need that. I want that. Would, would you pour it out into my life? I'll follow you if you can change me. Lord, I pray that if any are here or any online have prayed that prayer, that you would just flood them with your peace. Flood them with, with the sense of of just forgiveness and, and the joy that comes from knowing that, that as they confess their sins to you, that their sins are gone, they're, they're cast as far as the east is from the west, that they're new creations in you, that they don't have to go back to the things that have bogged their lives down, that they can be new and they can be free and they can be filled with hope and newness of life. And Lord, for those who are your kids and they're here and they're a part of your church and they've been following you for a long time. Lord, would you reveal to us where we still need to be forgiven? Would you reveal to us any selfish areas of our own heart? Would you reveal to us any, any place that that we want to say, yeah, but God, I, I know that we need to care for them out there, but, but what about me? And Lord, as, as we begin to see that in ourselves, would you, would you just forgive us? Would you continue to help us as your kids surrender everything to you so that we can experience your life? Help us to give our lives away for the sake of your kingdom so that we can experience true life in you. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you're not finished with us. We're grateful that you will continue to move us and shape us and mold us and, and just remind us, Lord, even as we sing this next song, that our prize is we get Jesus. That's, that's the reward. That's the prize that, that we get forgiveness and grace and mercy. We get Jesus. And so, Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you would just flood us with a, a sense of your peace, and your love and your grace here in this place. 
that we would be reminded that the reward that is the greatest reward of all is we get Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.